Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen and I am so hyped to be back with you guys. Phil, long time no here, my friend. It's good to be back. Yeah, you know, I I agree. And I think most of our audience will agree as well. They're uh, sick of kind of just hearing my voice uh, at the beginning, Uh, hearing your voice at the beginning, starting it (laughs) off. You you know, it just it just really did bring a smile to my face. And, uh, you know, it's like music to my ears. So I I really uh, am excited. I think we've had some really good episodes in your absence, but I think that they would have even been better if you were there. But you know what? We can't have everything. I think that's a good lesson in life that we just can't have, we can't have it all. You know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know, we just, the summer sometimes, you know, kids, you know, they're like, oh, we want to be back in school. You know, they forget that they didn't want to be back in school. I think it's the same way, you know, like we just can't have everything. We can never have everything. The grass is, is greener. And I think this actually is true. The grass is greener on this side. So, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the episode today, but before we get to the talking about the episode, which, which you know, we're switching it up a little bit. This is the first interview we've aired that, you know, you have done the interview. So that's going to be fun. But speaking of fun, you just got back from summer. So, you know, how was your summer? Yeah. Well, again, so great to be back. And I've thoroughly enjoyed the first few episodes of the season. It was uh, great to hear your guests and your co-hosts. It was very good. My summer was great. I spent a lot of time with my kiddos, spent a lot of time focusing on um, the amazing families and children that I get to work with here in Louisville, Kentucky. Shout out to Louisville. And um, did a little bit of traveling just here and there. Was able to touch base with some of the families that I work with. With overseas who are in the field. Um, so it's just a really, really nice summer all around. Yeah. And you also were a guest on another po- podcast, right? <gasps> yes. Yes. I was um, very honored to be a part of a brand new podcast. It's one of my favorite ministries. It's called Love Thy Neighborhood. Phenomenal podcast. They do some great ones. They just started a new podcast called the Enneacast. And they go through some different topics related to the Enneagram. And so they asked me to be on their podcast to talk about the number that I am. And I won't give it away in case anybody wants to check out the Enneacast by Love Thy Neighborhood. Um, You can hear what Enneagram number I am. I was going to give it away, but now I won't since you said you're not going to give it away. Such intrigue. But I I will say that you are the same as one of the two that I am always evenly split on. And I've taken the test numerous times. And every time I take it, I am evenly split between two numbers. Um, I believe that. The number that that you are and a two. And the interesting thing is I did listen to the episodes they've done on those two numbers and I see why I could be both of those, but I also see why I'm not firmly in either of those camps. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I, I, uh, I really enjoyed the episode. I've enjoyed some of the other episodes they've, they've put out. I haven't listened to all of them, but I uh, love the work they're doing. They have another uh, podcast as well. I think it's a Love That Neighborhood podcast. If I'm yes, mistaken. it's such a great and podcast. They're doing some great work. I'm very excited. Actually, that, one, that one's done, produced extremely well um, and uh, very, very excited uh, to uh, to continue listening to those. So, um, yeah, so that's a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, we like to have fun over here too. So what, uh, what are we going to be talking about today? What, what's the interview you're able to do? I am so excited for our listeners to get to meet or hear a little bit more from the one and only Megan Parker. Megan Parker is one of the co-founders of Abide Family Center in Jinja, Uganda. She's also a licensed clinical social worker, or I believe she's almost licensed. She's a social worker. She just finished up her master's degree. She's a phenomenal young woman, a young leader, and I really think our listeners are going to enjoy learning from her and hearing the insights that she has as a young leader who um, was an executive director as well as a co-founder of um, an organization and ministry in East Africa. So, you know, before we get to that interview, I just want to make sure you all out there, you know, remember, uh, engage the conversation, 
reach out to us on email, uh, info at thinkorphan.com or on Facebook or through the website. You know, there's so many different ways you can contact us. We'd also love for you to rate and review this show on, uh, on iTunes or wherever else you're listening. And uh, we just love that you are part of this conversation. So without more from us, here's Megan Parker. Hey, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Think Orphan podcast. I am beyond words excited to finally have you on our show. Thank you. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself. I, of course, know the one and only Megan Parker and love and adore every part of you. But tell our listeners, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, So I am, as of two months ago, Um, an LCSW, so licensed clinical social worker here in Boston. Um, I currently work with kids, um, complicated kiddos with a variety of um, high needs in a school-based setting. Um, Before doing that, I lived and worked in Uganda as the co-founder and executive director of Abide Family Center, which is an organization that works to keep kids out of orphanages and in their families. Yes, you are all of those things and much, much more. You rattled off some acronyms. And one of the things as a mental health professional that um, I love to do is help people to understand kind of what our letters mean and um, what our degrees and what it is that we do. So can you just kind of rattle those things off again and help our listeners know um, educationally what that looks like and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I am have a master's of social work which is a two-year program um and my focus was on clinical work with kids and i specifically specialized in trauma and violence and so now that i am out of school i am licensed through a social work board which makes sure that i don't do anything sketchy yes (laughs) um verifies my um credentials and experience and so right now i'm based in a school and so i help kids with special needs access the curriculum and get through their day um, as well as offering um, individual group counseling for them in their school setting. Perfect. I know you're excited about starting your new job in the school setting and I know you're going to do great with that, Megan. You said that you helped start a nonprofit in Uganda. Tell us a little bit about the story related to starting Abide Family Center and just help our listeners to know how did you start a nonprofit in a foreign country and kind of what led you to consider Abide Family Center and, and starting um, an organization like that? Yeah, so um, I first went to Uganda when I graduated high school. Um, I really wanted, I had friends, I had European friends who were taking gap years. And I thought that was pretty cool and I wanted you too. And so I had um, a cousin who had been adopted internationally from Russia. And I had just been so um, moved by the whole experience that my family went through to welcome her into our family. And so I was really interested in um, international orphan care issues. And so I was kind of drawn to orphanages and wanting to work in an orphanage um, during my gap year. I did know at that point I knew enough about attachment and kind of what um, orphanage care can do to a child developmentally that I did prioritize an orphanage that did adoptions. And so I ended up in an orphanage in Uganda volunteering um, for six months out of high school. And it was an orphanage that did international adoptions. Um, But when I was there, I noticed that a lot of the kids had family members come and visit them when they were in the orphanage. I was so confused because I thought that orphanages were full of orphans, meaning kids with no adults taking care of them um, or wanting them or um, desiring to care for them. And so I started asking a lot of questions um, and learned that 80% of the kids in Uganda are in orphanages because of poverty, not because their parents don't want them or don't love them. Um, It's more just because they can't afford to take care of them. So the other co-founder of Abide and myself ended up working with that orphanage for a couple of years, trying to increase the amount of resettlements. So kids with families going home to their families. Um, And so we we hired a full-time Ugandan social worker and we did a lot of family tracing. Um, We did assessments of the families. We ended up sending home 14 kids, and um, of those 14, one ended up having to go into an adoptive, a Ugandan adoptive family, and then two more had to be um, 
sent to different family members. But other than that, like they were all super happy and really successful. And um, we really saw these kids transform in every single way you can imagine being in a family setting. Um, And it was just a really powerful thing. And so after doing that for two years, we were both finishing our undergrad at that time. And that's when we kind of started to think more along the lines of preventative care and kind of started asking why, like, why are these kids ending up in care to begin with? Like, why do these kids have to spend three years, three of their first most formative years of development in an orphanage setting, which we knew wasn't best for them. Um, And so like the work we were doing was important to get them home, but we also were like, can we do better? Um, And so that's kind of where Abide came into um, creation and how Abide became a dream of ours was we wanted a place that um, really was that preventative um, service that we got these families before they put their kids into an orphanage that we were there at the gates being like, hey, we've got a better option. We've got, we can get you the services you need. And so our overarching goal was to prevent kids from going to orphanages and just to keep them in the family and make sure that families didn't need to get to that level of desperation before they got the services they needed. Yeah. So I've heard you say a couple of times that Abide is more of a preventative model. So I want to clarify for our listeners because um, when we think about institutionalized settings and orphan care communities, there's so many different models um, globally. And so I want to just really clarify for our listeners, is Abide an orphanage? Is it an orphan care community? Or what, what really is it, Megan? Abide is not an orphanage. We do not take custody of children. We are not legally allowed to take custody of children. Um, We do have emergency housing. So we occasionally will house an entire family, children with their parents or guardians um, for a very um, short amount of time before they get back up on their feet. Um, But Abide is a center that is full of services that can be given to parents that enables them to push, pull themselves out of poverty become independent and able to care for their kids on their own. And so we do that through a variety of services. We have um, an economic empowerment program that starts small businesses. Um, We have a daycare center. We do rent loans, um, food stipends, and um, other referrals and parenting classes and health classes as well. Yes, you guys do. You do many things that are incredibly innovative and make a huge difference in children and families' lives. Megan, when you think about your time that you've spent overseas and the different people that you know um, who do work with children who um, come from vulnerable environments or don't have parents or families that maybe are best skilled or have uh, the finances to take care of them. When you think about all of the things that you know as an expert in this area, what do you think has made Abide so successful? I think Abide is successful for a couple things. Um, Primarily, I think it's because from the very beginning, we always had um, Ugandans as a part of creating our model and forming our model and informing our model. Um, We really didn't come in as Westerners um, with this idea of like, this is how we want to do this. We really, from the beginning... Wait, 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 wait. Can you say that again? We didn't come in as Westerners with an idea of this is how we want to do this. (laughs) And to be fair, we did bring in a lot of like social work influence around systems and how we formed, um, how we worded things and that kind of thing. Um, But as far as our programs, they were all designed by Ugandans. They were all tweaked by Ugandans. When we ran into problems, we constantly went back to the Ugandans to ask like, hey, what went wrong here? What can we do better? Um, and to this day, we have a team of dedicated Ugandan staff that is not now fully in charge of Abide that is constantly asking um, themselves, how can we do better? How can we make this model work better for our families? Um, and I, I think that's the key to our success is it came straight from the community. It was always um, created with Ugandan families in mind, and we were always looking to improve it in whichever way we could. We're always changing. We're always growing. 
Yes. Ever since I was introduced to Abide Family Center, that was absolutely one of the markers that I noticed. Um, For our listeners out there, I met Megan and the other co-founder of Abide Family Center when our family was living in Uganda. And um, I can tell you firsthand being on the field and in the field that the model of Abide Family Center is incredibly unique. It's incredibly successful. And I have to agree with Megan that the emphasis that is placed on the ability and the capability and the efficacy of Ugandans doing work is absolutely essential. And I think it's crucial for the the success that Abide Family Center has seen, not only in the families and children's lives that you've impacted through the center, but I would say too, Megan, the, the amount of... Um, the amount of success that you've seen within your staff. And so I want to touch on that for a minute. Um, you, you told us and you told our listeners that you guys were always really looking towards helping Ugandans help Ugandans. And so I know that, that one thing that's been incredibly impressive for me is, is to know that right now, at this very moment, Abide Family Center is completely Ugandan-led and staffed, and correct me if I'm wrong, but has a Ugandan board of directors. Is that accurate? It is true. It is 100% Ugandan. And let me just... run every single way. And let me clarify, guys, Abide is not like 25 years old. (laughs) Abide is... What are we at, Megan? A little over... We'll be um, five years. Five years. Okay. So when you think about especially Westerners entering into an international setting. Um, Just tell us a little bit about why you think it's so important to have nationals and leadership. Um, So I just don't think you can do this work without it. Um, You can, but you're not going to do it very well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And even in the beginning of Abide, when I was the top leadership, um, and I am not a Ugandan, I only think I was successful because of how much I listened to my staff. And, um, and not just that, like you have to create an environment where your staff know that they have a voice and they feel comfortable sharing their opinions and that, um, disagreements, Um, respectful disagreements are um, encouraged and rewarded um, and creativity is encouraged and rewarded Um, so I think from the beginning that's kind of how I led my staff as I I saw how capable they were I saw how intelligent they were I saw creative and innovative they were and so from the beginning I pretty much always just listened to them (laughs) I mean occasionally I would disagree but uh, it was pretty rare Um, And then as I did that, it just became this natural um, situation in which it was like, okay, so wait, why am I here? Um, And that's that's kind of what happened. We got to a point where I was like, you guys don't really need me anymore. Um, And so I don't remember what your original question was. That was good. Of just asking. No, you you answered it. You nailed it. Of why is it important to have Ugandans and leadership within Abide Family Center? You nailed it. And that's one thing that... um, you, it just exudes from Abide in general, but even before you guys were completely Ugandan led, um, you there was such, there is there has been there was such a respect for the staff that you're working with, and I think that leads into one of the the main topics that I wanted you to talk about today on our show too is member care. Abide places a huge emphasis on member care. And so I just want to hear from you as uh, Megan Parker, social worker and founder of Abide Family Center. Just tell us a little bit about member care and why as a leader do you think that member care is essential for organizational health? I don't. I believe that organizations are only as effective and healthy as the people that make them up. And I and the people that make them up are our staff who are providing on the ground care. Um, and so I knew that in order, I saw pretty early on that my most important role would be to take care of them, to support them, to make sure that their voices were heard because the way I saw it, they were the ones interacting with our clients every single day. They were the ones providing those services. They were the ones who knew better than anyone where the holes were, where the improvements needed to be. Um, 
And so if we lost them, if they were unhealthy, if they weren't in a place where they felt like they had a voice, our, our services were going to be way less quality. Let me say that again. <laughs> no, girl, you're good. <laughs> if we, if the staff weren't healthy, if the staff weren't cared for, if the staff didn't feel like they had a voice, if they weren't excited to come to work every day, then I knew that our clients weren't going to be getting the care that they deserved and the care that we were there to give them. Um, and so I really believe that my role as a leader was to make sure that the, the staff were cared for. And then there's that natural trickle down effect is the better our staff are, the stronger they are, the better care and services all of our clients are getting. And so we worked really hard to create a culture um, where people walk through our doors and they could tell that we were happy to be there, that we were happy to see them, that um, we loved the work we were doing, that we were still energized, we weren't burned out, <laughs> we were still going strong. And um, the, I don't think there's any other way to do that for clients than to invest in member care. Yes, you definitely nailed that answer, Megan. I think that I want to keep going back to this theme of respect. And so often in the consultation that I've had the privilege of being a part of throughout kind of the globe at this point, um, it's very, very common for um, countries that we're entering into for a national to view a foreigner, especially a Westerner, as the expert and as the person that has all of the answers. And so I think that what I've seen at Abide Family Center is breaking down that erroneous type of thinking, that mixed up thought, if you will, that just because we are from the West that we have the answers, because that's actually not true. Like we may have had the privilege of education and training that maybe some nationals haven't had the privilege um, of attending or being a part of. But I think that when there's as much respect that's not just talked about, but actually shown through leadership from a top-down model, that's when we see member care at its best. And so I wanted to add that to your answer because I've seen it. I've seen the way that um, you have in your leadership role with Abide shown your staff respect. And I've seen your staff kind of melt in that. <laughs> so as a leader, just kind of tell me, um, and I know this wasn't a planned question, so feel free to roll with it, whatever, whichever way you want to go. But um, tell me what, what you saw in that, like how ultimately respecting your staff from a leadership perspective actually kind of helps you as a leader even more. Um. Well, two things. I think one thing you have to remember when you come into countries that aren't your own, specifically developing countries, is not only are you sometimes seen as an expert, but also you bring the money. And that's automatically going to mean you bring the power. Um, and so, to be honest, I'm not sure if my staff ever saw me as an expert um, because I didn't. I didn't have a master's at that point. I was very, very, I was much younger than most of them. Um, but I do think in the beginning they kind of knew like, they bring the money and so they're in charge and they have the power. And so you have to actively flip that. Like you, it's not enough to just be like, Hey, what do you think? Um, because they're not going to tell you what they really think if they don't feel respected, if they don't feel like you're giving them a voice and you truly genuinely want to hear what they think you have to work so hard at it. And, um, that's kind of what I, it took me a while to figure that out for sure. But I started to notice that like, I have to learn culturally how we do this. Like when I ask, what do you think? I have to wait. I have to pause. I have to give them time to respond. I sometimes I have to read between the lines. Like sometimes culturally they don't give me a direct answer and I kind of have to figure out what are they trying to tell me? And then I have to listen. And it wasn't until the, it was probably a solid year in and a couple times in which I proved to them that like, I am genuinely listening to you. I'm taking what you told me and I'm making concrete organizational decisions based on that um that then that trust started to be built and honestly it was like night and day there was employees that we were kind of like oh are they cut out for this we're not so sure who turned into like our best employees ever um and you know we've not had an easy go of growing an organization for sure we've definitely had our hiccups and bumps along the way um and the strength of our staff is just unreal and is hands down the only reason Abide still exists today. They have gone months without pay. They have 
got, worked tons more hours than is required of them. They have personally made connections and um, advocated for Abide, and they have done more than any person could ever ask of a staff member to keep Abide going. And I truly think it's it's not just because they're amazing people, because they totally are, but I think it's because they grew to see Abide's mission as just as important as I did as the founder. Like Abide is my baby and I worked super hard to create it and grow it, but it's also their baby. And so I think the way they view Abide is not as a typical staff member views an organization they work for. I think they genuinely have this ownership and they feel like I work to create this and this is something I have poured time and energy into. So when it's looking like it's not doing so hot, they show up just as strong, sometimes stronger than I do. Yes, what I'm hearing a lot of is collaboration. I'm hearing a lot of respect and I'm hearing about building relationships with Mm -hmm. the people that you're working with. And those are all huge aspects of member care. One thing that I'm going to add to that, that Megan is being a little bit too humble to say, though, (laughs) is that, um, you know, the reality is when Megan was talking about not being an expert, um, unfortunately, there's all too many young people that do enter into developing countries and simply because they are uh, from the West or simply because they do have um, money, they they take on that role of expert in a very unhealthy and actually inaccurate way. And so um, what Megan is too humble to say is that people probably didn't view her as an expert because she wouldn't allow them. She didn't take um, credit of knowing things that she didn't quite know yet. She, she sought um, wisdom from people who have been doing this longer. She sought um, information from trauma-informed mental health professionals. She Mm -hmm. sought information from um, people who actually know how to run a nonprofit internationally. And so I think that's really important when we talk about international settings, particularly nonprofits, and if I may, particularly um, ministries who are working overseas. It's just so important that uh, we do as much as possible to not place ourselves in an expert in an expert role, especially when you're truly not an expert. And like Megan said, I'm just not sure that we can even consider ourselves to be an expert, really, of anything when it's not our culture and it's not our birth country, um, and when we haven't lived there. And so, I want to ask you another question, Megan. And I think that. I've been waiting to hear this answer for a while as I prepared for our time together. Um, You guys have heard Megan describe a little bit about who she is and her education and training. And and Megan Megan actually chose quite a different trajectory than many young founders and executive directors in international settings, particularly ministries or faith-based organizations who work in developing countries. And so, Megan, tell us a little bit about why you chose to go to college and then actually go back and get a master's degree okay so honestly the only reason I finished college was because my parents made me um that's fair that's fair I have a better answer for God's play promise but um you know sometimes when you are 18 and very passionate and very excited you need some awesome parents to be like hey you need to come home from Uganda and you need to finish your degree and so that's the only reason that one got finished um but I was so um, grateful that I did. Um, like I, like I said, I always struggled with kind of feeling super inadequate and overwhelmed by what abide became and what, a and the just magnitude of an organization I was running. Um, and so I was extremely grateful that I spent that time to get that degree. Um, it was in child development, so it didn't always help me. I kind of wish it was in business, (laughs) (laughs) but it definitely, there was definitely moments that it did help. Um, and so as, uh, as Abide grew and as my role with Abide grew, I, and as we kind of really strengthened Abide's values, one of our key values was to offer our clients excellence in everything we did. And we really, we believed that as a faith-based organization, we were called to, um, offer these, these families, um, the best services we possibly could. And it got to the point where I realized that I wasn't really doing that, um, that I was not qualified to be running an organization in any way, shape, or form. Um, And so 
that was kind of a driving force to go back to school, um, to get a master's, to make sure that um, I was qualified to be offering the services I was offering. And it, it really was driven by this idea that I believe that Ugandan families deserve the best. Um, and I believe that especially if we're going to go into their country to serve them, we got to make sure we're giving them our best. And so for me personally, um, I knew I had the ability to go to grad school. I knew that um, it was the timing was right and realistically I could. And so for me, if I wanted to stay aligned with those values, that was the next step for me. All right, so I'm going to go there with this next question. You can jump if you want to. All right, Megan, do you think that it's necessary for leaders working in international nonprofit ministry settings to have some form of education and training? Um, yes, um, I really do. I think, um, I think realistically, as a director, especially a founder and a director, you're never going to be an expert in everything you need to be. It's such a hard job and there's so many things that you need to know how to do. So realistically, you're never going to be qualified for all of them. So you got to realize that you got to own up to where you can't and you've got to bring in people and consultants that can fill those gaps. But I just truly believe that, um, that as Christians, we serve to the best of our ability and to the best of your ability means making sure you're trained and qualified to be doing what you're doing. And if you're not stepping aside, so someone who is can. Um, and I think that's a really important thing that founders don't always necessarily realize is you don't have to be the executive director. Um, you don't have to be in charge. Um, you, in fact, oftentimes I think it's best if you're not, um, I think it takes very, different skill set to be a founder than to be an executive director. Um, I actually don't think I have a lot of founder skill sets. I think our, the other co-founder of Abide did. Um, and so that's why co-founding works really well too. <laughs> but I think a lot of founders think that they then automatically need to fulfill that director role. And I, I don't know if that's always the best idea. I think it's super important to ask yourself like, Am I qualified? And is this what I did? Is this a skill set God has given me? Is this who I was created to be? Or was my role to be the founder and then to be a cheerleader and step aside and let other people be in that top leadership position? Oftentimes, that's a lot easier said than done. I'm not a founder. I'm not um, an executive director of an international nonprofit or ministry setting, but I know that I can speak from um, a clinical standpoint and an organizational leadership standpoint. And I know even as we talk about this on the show today, um, we're, we're coming at it from a perspective and we want to you know, maintain a humbleness within that as well. We know that it's really hard to be able oh. to see and understand when it is time to potentially step down or step aside, actually. It's a process. And I think it's what do that. Yep. And I think what Megan has so eloquently shared with us today is that you've got to be willing to have people speaking in. You've got to be willing to listen to your staff. You've got to be willing to collaborate with people that may or probably know a little bit more than you about these type of things. And I think that's also another reason that Abide Family Center has seen so much success in the midst of really difficult situations. And so um, for our listeners, obviously, this is not a video recording, so you can't see Megan Parker, but she is a very um, young person. And so um, I want to ask Megan, just what what type of recommendations or wisdom do you have for any young founders or executive directors who are just getting started in a ministry setting or um, an international organization? Hmm. Can I say don't do it? I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, you can say anything. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, I don't think any of us have any idea what we signed up for. Um, and you will probably have days that you regret it. Um, but like, that's why it's so important to surround yourself with people. You've got to surround yourself with people. Locals who know this culture that you're stepping into, um, you have to surround yourself with people who understand the ins and outs of nonprofits, specifically just the nitty gritty accounting and financials and tax reporting and all of that stuff that you're like, you weren't thinking about when you dreamed up this nonprofit. 
Um, you have to surround yourself with people that will speak into you spiritually, that will call you out when you're kind of a little bit off. Um, people who can support you from a clinical perspective, you could be the coolest, strongest, most put together person ever, and you will lose it at some point. (laughs) And so you need the emotional supports, you need the clinical supports, you need the, you just need to surround yourself with people. Um, And oftentimes that takes time. And so a lot of people want to jump in feet first and that's totally normal. And I absolutely wanted to do the same. And when you're in that exciting phase of starting, the need feels so big and you have these awesome ideas and you're so passionate, you have so much energy and you just want to jump right in, but you have to take time to pause because if you don't do it well, you're going to, you're going to regret it. I promise. (laughs) So take your time, do your research, build those connections. There's no rush. God does not need you to save these people. God's got this. There is no rush. Um, and so, yeah, just very good. lovely time, insight. Form your relationships and good luck. <laughs> very good. Very good insight. All right. We typically wrap up our uh, shows with two questions. And so I'm going to I'm going to launch the first one at you, Megan. Um, mm-hmm. What book have you read recently that's influenced your view of working with orphaned or vulnerable children? And it's totally OK if you want to list um like a clinical book. I know you're just finishing up grad school and a lot of times in grad school, we don't have a lot of time for extra reading. So you just let us know what that is. Um, I always go back to Urban Halo and it's like a yeah. classic opinion. It's just the foundation of um, everything that we believed and everything that went into how a guide was created. Um, I just love that it's a book I can hand people that's fun and it's a narrative and it's story and it's not boring and yet it speaks truth and it's faith-based and I just, yeah, I'll never love anything as much as Urban Halo. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll have that, a link for that resource um, on our website, guys. All right, Megan, what person has been the most influential in your life uh, regarding taking care of children um, who are vulnerable or who, um, Come from difficult backgrounds. My cousin, who was adopted from Russia when I was 12, um, she, in her greatest moments, taught me the resilience of kids and um, just how amazing they can be no matter what they've been through. And in her hardest moments has reminded me um, just how essential families are for kids and how much we need to be fighting for every child to be in a family. Megan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Even at a young age, there is wisdom. Age does not matter when it comes to um, wisdom and experience and expertise. And you've shared a lot with us today, Megan. We wish you the best of luck as you start your professional journey, officially finish with grad school and start as a social worker stateside. And the best of uh, continued wishes as you consult and provide lots of great information and consultation to abide family center stateside as well. Thanks, Karen. Thanks Megan so much. Thanks again, Megan, for being a part of our show today. Um, it was so great to hear from you and I'm excited about future collaborations. I'll talk a little bit more about it. Um, but Megan and I, I think are going to be collaborating this year at KFO here in Louisville, Kentucky. So again, second shout out for Louisville, Kentucky, Phil, what did you think about the interview? what did you think about my girl, Megan? Well, first of all, I don't know that we've, you know, mentioned Louisville that much. And even though you're from <laughs> there and, and, uh, you know that 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 excites me just because you know Louisville doesn't get a lot of a lot of conversation now. Love thy no. neighborhood may bring it really to the oh, to the yes. you know front stage, but we'll see we'll see on that one. But uh, you know, Megan, I love what Abide's doing. I've I visited Abide when I was over there a few years ago, um, and uh, you know I've uh, talked with with the, with the people working with it there, and so it's it's definitely the real deal. Um, what Megan was talking about on the show, it's, it's super exciting because really it's what we're about here, right? It's about collaboration. It's about excellence. It's about, you know, empowering the national leadership to really, 
um, do the best they can be doing and to not come in thinking we know everything, to not come in with an arrogant God complex, but to come in learning and really say, you know, we together, God has brought us together for some reason. How can we do this work together and really, you know, take all of our strengths together in this place at this time in history and, you know, do the best we can do together. And so that was something I really uh, enjoyed hearing from her. And, you know, one thing in particular was, was, you know, a lot of things stuck out. But and we'll talk about a couple of the other ones after after this. But I want to hear your your thoughts on this too. Um, you know, what was neat to hear was she she talked about the importance of building trust and leadership and collaboration. And we talk about that all the time on the show, right? That you can't just come in out of the blue and all of a sudden collaborate with someone. You got to build trust. Right. You got to build relationship as you would with anything. But with that, she talked about so much more than that. That she came in was able to champion these women and men in the area and they really did raise up and develop champions for the ministry right that they went to bat if they weren't getting paid oh well we're gonna keep going right so you know and i think that that goes to self-care but also others care right so i think that that's something we talk about both of those things all the time and i know every time you hear self-care it just like gives you a jolt of energy in your being and so, yes. um, what do you, what do you think of all that? <laughs> yeah, no, totally on target. And that's one of the, um, I think one of the, the main ways that I actually got to know Megan and got to know Abide Family Center was their emphasis. And, um, I guess a better word would be perseverance. They were really persevering for organizational care for member care. Um, it was something that was wildly important to the co-founders and it was very important to Megan as she um, continued as executive director and was working towards handing off that role to a Ugandan-led staff and a Ugandan-led board and executive director. Um, I, I think it's the one of, one of, if not the most essential and crucial aspects of um, the success of Abide. And I know sometimes Megan doesn't like hearing that word success or a lot of people maybe don't like hearing that word, but maybe longevity, um, but it is successful. It's, it's a healthy, um, not perfect, but healthy organization and ministry that has been intentional in valuing the people who are working with and for the women and families that Abide Family Center is serving and working towards. And so it is a great example of a trickle down approach. And you see that when you take care of staff members that they tend to want to go the extra mile. And that ends up looking like true, genuine, authentic relationships that are built with our families and kids that we're serving. And it, again, just tends to be that model that has effective outcomes. And that's what Abide Family Center has seen, which um, I get very, very excited when I see um, outcome and I see data, which um, Abide Family Center has. And you see that intentional organizational health is prioritized. And I don't mean just physical health or mental health. I'm also talking spiritual health. Abide Family Center is very, very serious about holistic member care, including faith and spiritual development. Yeah, you know, and the other thing that uh, Megan talked about, well, first of all, I want to take a step back and say, yeah, I don't know if everyone else out there noticed, but Karen's way more encouraging on her interviews than I am, and she she cheers on the guest way more than I do. So, (laughs) you know, I I apologize going back to the hundred and so interviewees that I've had and guests that I apologize if I didn't cheer you on as much as Karen has and was doing. So, um, you know, loved that. Um, you know, I also want to say real quick that, you know, uh, Megan recommended Urban Halo and that is a fantastic book by my friend, uh, Craig Greenfield. Um, just in fact, was listening to a podcast, another different podcast he was on today. Um, I think it's called halfway there. It was really good. Um, he also, um, was one of the first season's guests on this show. And so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to Craig as well. And that book, Urban Halo, is I believe it's craiggreenfield.com. It's his blog. 
and he gives that book away uh, on the blog. So you can you can get that for free, download that book for free. He actually, as he told us on the podcast um, that he did for us, he bought the rights back from the publisher so that he could give it away free. It's so cool. I love Craig, love what he's doing. Um, and uh, he's, it is a fantastic book, I agree. So what the other thing I wanted to, you know, talk about for a few minutes is, you know, she talked about the importance of mentors, you know, that we can't do it all. And we're not, we don't have the strengths in everything to do it all. We don't have the leadership skills. Oftentimes we don't have the experience oftentimes. And so it's so important. First of all, she said, it's so important to be trained and qualified to do what you're doing. I think that's so, that's way too often violated in nonprofit work, especially, And she also said, sometimes it's best if the founder is not in charge. And I think that uh, that is very true oftentimes. Um, Not always. And neither, you know, that's that's not universal. But I I think that it goes to the other thing she said. And I want to hear your thoughts on this one. Um, The advice to young people wanting to start an organization. She said something in jest that I agree with wholeheartedly. She said, don't do it. Um, and then she laughed, but I know she meant it and she said it's really hard, which it is. Um, but the reason why I agree wholeheartedly with, with that, you know, what I know was not really a joke, um, is because I think for a few reasons, one is I don't think young people know enough to run an organization and particularly internationally about themselves and about international. You know, you can't take an American out of an American. You can't take whoever it is out of whatever, but we try to do things, I think with our excitement and with our passions, but we so don't know about the world. Now I don't want to quash people's passion, but what I will say is there are so many things already going on around the world. And that's something I know from my experience that I've had over the last decade. If I've learned about so many amazing places around the world that are doing such incredible things, but are under-resourced and need people with that passion, need people with that drive, that fervor, that zeal to come in and help them do what God has started in them. And so if you take that passion and the resources that they're probably bringing to the table, rather than starting something else that they're going to struggle in together, do it together with somebody else and come in and really be able to find someone that's doing something similar or the same as what you wanted to start. And that is what I firmly believe that 99.9% of the time people will find something else if they look hard enough. But most of the time, unfortunately, people don't look hard enough because they don't want to find something else because they want to do it themselves. And, you know, do you agree with that or do you think I'm being too harsh? That's a big topic there, bro. I like it. You went for it. You jumped in. I like it. Um, You know, I would say that for the most part, I absolutely resonate with what you're saying. I tend to come down on this topic from the point of um, it's so helpful to have um, education and training and cultural wisdom and buy-in from the culture. Um, There's a part of me though, as you were even saying that in my head, I was like, but if Megan wouldn't have done that and her co-founder, then would everything that abides doing be happening. And what about all those families? You know, so I think my head can go there sometimes, mm-hmm. but sure. I, I, I do very, very much agree, um, with what Megan was saying about having the wherewithal. And, and really she didn't call herself humble, but she's incredibly humble, um, to know that she doesn't have all the answers. Megan has always and her co-founder have always been willing to seek outside help and to look to outside help and resources, not just for like legal wisdom or HR stuff, but for cultural areas, Mm -hmm. for um, international nonprofit world, seeking out people in those ways. And so I hear where you're coming from. I do tend to agree with you more than disagree with you. Um, But I also don't want to squish any dreams that are out there. Right. No. And, and maybe 99.99 or whatever I said was a bit high, but I, I, I think, <laughs> I, agree. I think, me. I think innovation is critical to what we're doing. I just really want to see more innovation within yeah. current organizations. I agree. And I would say even in the past decade, there's been more conversations about collaboration, mm -hmm. especially related to orphaned and vulnerable children, Mm -hmm. thanks to you as a big part of it, Phil. Um, But 
I think that because of that collaboration and the talk that is going on, it is a lot different than 10 years ago um, when I think some of these younger um, people who had founded organizations got a lot of publicity and press for being so young and starting Mm -hmm. some of these kind of more popular organizations internationally. Yeah, you know, and and I just do want to say too. I mean, there are certain certain situations where it is a novel concept that isn't being done, and it can't be sure. done in a certain place and a certain time and whatever. But I think that's such the exception to the rule. And I've seen the other side way too much. Yes. And I mean, you know me, and you guys who have listened for long enough know me. I'm just a team guy. I, I through and through, I'm gonna find the way rather than starting it on my own. I'm gonna find the way to find somebody else and help them to flourish and ways that's going to be awesome. So, you know, that's just my heart and I'm going to be consistent on that. So if you don't like it, you know, this may not be the show for you. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. I know you don't, you're not supposed to try to not get people to listen, but I think you should keep listening because if you're not the kind of, maybe you need to think about it a little bit. But um, if you are, you're getting it. And, you know, I just, I, I love seeing what can happen when people come together because the way I see it, we all have blind spots. The way I see it, we have so much to offer each other and the kingdom. And, you know, God created us to work in community. So that's just the way I see it. So anyway... I know you got a book for us that, that goes with the self-care concept and, uh, you know, so what, what do you got for us on the back? We're back folks, Dr. Karen, Phil and Dr. Karen recommend today. I kind of did with Urban Halo. So both of us are recommending a little bit today. Yeah, I got a good one today. It's going to be um, related to member care. And the title of the book is actually called Global Member Care. And there's two volumes. This is volume one that I'm going to be referencing. Um, it's by Dr. Kelly O'Donnell. He and his wife are actually leaders, international leaders in the field. They're both clinical psychologists um, who have specialized in international member care. And so again, the book is called Global Member Care. It's volume one. The subtitle is The Pearls and Perils of good practice. It's a really great book. Anyone who is interested in member care, you've heard me talk about it. If you're a regular listener, if you keep hearing me say member care today and you're like, what is this lady talking about? Um, Check out this book. It's an incredible resource. It's going to line out the history of member care. It's going to talk about best practices. It's going to talk about why do we even need to be talking about member care? It's a phenomenal book. Highly recommend it. So folks, that's why I have her here. She's the one who recommends books like that. And I rep- recommend movies like Jumanji, Back to the Jungle. So just throwing it out there. Um, she might be more fun on the interview part, but, you know, I, I'm just here to bring fun movies to the to the table. So someone, that's exactly everyone's got their role, right? Everyone's got their role. The only reason you're here. <laughs> so folks, you know, I'm so excited right now. I'm so excited to have Karen back. I'm so excited that you were able to uh, enjoy and join us for this uh, conversation today. And, you know, as always, I just hope and pray that you take everything that you're learning um, on this show, everything that you're learning as you read different great books and watch different movies and listen to other podcasts. And you just really use it to help you understand how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every single day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.